Yes. So it's a big discography, so he's been at it. He's recorded shitloads of albums. He's had at it. Hur ser den ut i datorn då? För det vill man ju veta. Man vill inte bara höra att den hörs, utan att den syns. Ja, precis. Så vad börjar vi med nu då? That means, what do we begin with now? Yeah, what do we begin with? Said by Mattias Ransson. Pool Bully Sir Larry Basher Big Ears Black Knight Court Jester Disappearing Armchair Q&A El Grangero Farmer Headmaster Ja Karate Kid Live Animal Marvin Masa Mummy's Curse Phantom of the Jolly Cricketeers Plan B The Bishop. The Juggler. The Ninja. The Wasp. It's all about Martin Birch. It's all names for him. Yeah. There's probably a story behind everyone, and of course we don't know the story behind every each one of these. But the disappearing armchair story goes that they were recording Seven Son of a Seven Son in Munich, in Musicland Studios in Germany. And uh, Dave and Martin were drinking in the hotel room the studio is in the basement or i think the basement of a of a hotel in munich and uh, dave was showing card tricks to a baffled and very drunk martin birch and by the end of this magical session from dave murray martin goes i know a trick too it's called the disappearing armchair Opens the window and you throw it out. Oh, he opened the windows. He didn't crash. I, crash I think he window. opened the windows. Okay. So a bit civilized almost. Yeah. But someone could have been standing there, Martin. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's very irresponsible, Martin. Very stupid. Very stupid. <laughs> Classic rock and roll, I guess. It's still 80s. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and uh, uh, apparently uh, he went to bed. It was Dave's room. And it just took a few minutes. And then the police show up. Oh, yeah. So Dave is still the only one there. <laughs> He's the only one there. So who threw the chair? What's going on here? <laughs> oh, yeah, they found it. A very effective uh, German gendarmes. <laughs> Apparently. It's really funny. So they kind of measured it, I guess, in some way. I don't know. Or if someone saw it. I, did, I tried that once when I threw out the TV. And I, I regretted it so much when I saw what happened. It just turned into dust, almost exploded. and yeah. covered an area of 10 square meters. And I was like, oh, what did I do? It was in a student's home in Luleå in Sweden. I've carried a, a TV set upstairs that was on the scrapyard. Mm. It didn't work. Well, I picked it on the scrapyard. I should figure it didn't work. But all the carrying, I had some frustration in me, and I decided to try that old throw out the TV, and I instantly regretted it. It's a terrible scene that you create when it explodes. It's powder all over. Yeah. Disappearing armchair is almost more civilized yeah. than that. But still, the cops found it. <laughs> Apparently, as yeah. the story goes, yeah, good work on their on their part. I guess they're calculating measures. They had a forensic there, holes in the ground, and like, oh, it's level four, window fourteen. <laughs> I don't know. Pool bull is from Bahamas, Compass Point. I think it's power slave. Anyway, yeah, it was just uh, pushing people into the pool, and I don't know what else. You know, you could imagine, like basically, what a five year old is doing. 
Att NASA på... is a sort of a wit on NASA recording uh, somewhere in time. time. And uh, what else? Marvin, of course, is his alter ego. Yeah. Which would also be probably the pool bully will fall under like a subcategory of Marvin. Yeah, I guess. When he's drunk, basically. And Adrian's alter ego is, oh, I think Melvin. Adrian has an alter ego. Yeah, yeah. Melvin, and, Melvin and Marvin. So he also went... went Perhaps ber- they were... Did he go berserk ever, Adrian? Oh. He's such a calm demeanor. But so has, has Birch. In interviews, he's very civilized. But very drunk, perhaps. Someone else is there. The ninja is from Assault Attack, MSG. Well, yeah, because it's samurai. Why do you mm. live to die? Or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And the karate kid must be... Because he knew karate. He did karate, and there's the famous matchup with Bruce. Karate versus fencing. Fencing. Yeah. <laughs> like mixed martial arts. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Fucking dangerous. Like, uh, mixed martial arts for you. <laughs> but of all these names, I think the, the one that catches my eyes, Sir Larry. Sir Larry. And that's from a White Snake album, I think. So yeah, Larry, it would fit White White Snake with that that video game L- Leisure Suit Larry in the land of lounge lizards, because he's out looking for sleazy endeavors. He's trying to get laid basically, and he's this he's this failed dude, a bit short, but he's got a white leisure suit on. Mm. He's Leisure Suit Larry, so maybe Sir Larry it would fit White Snake. Maybe so, with the sex the sex angle, you know, on the prowl, on the prowl, boys. <laughs> and Q and A, Q and A, he's Q&A. got the answers. I don't know. He's got the answer. I don't know what album that is from either. Q&A. The Juggler, we'll get into The Juggler later with yeah. quotes. Uh, farmer, that was because he had a, a, a... was a farmer. Yeah, at least he had a big garden. Yeah, at the very I, least. I think he had a farm. I got the quote from, from the classic albums, BBC, mm. Number of the Beast. Yeah, so we exactly. can just tag that in here. Mm. But it was something about at least a semi-version of a farmer. Or a full-on, if you're correct. I, I think but he, he had the Wellingtons. When he retired... The Wellingtons were the same. Yeah. When he retired in 92, he became a full-time farmer. Farmer was um, on Number of the Beast, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was. What else? Headmaster says itself, right? Yeah, it's killers. Yeah, he's just a headmaster. Yeah. Like, uh, Raining the kids together. Like uh, um, George Martin in Beatles. I think Plan B is from... The Two Minutes to Midnight single, right? You always need a plan B if you're a proper producer. Yeah. So I figure with those results. A plan C and D. Plan too. C and D too. Yeah. Live Animal is live after death, right? It must be, yeah. It's just, uh, you know, he's just recording it live. There's probably no other meaning to it. It was probably never referred to as Live Animal. And The Wasp, I think, is one of the earliest I've seen because that's from... I think it's been used several times too, but I know for sure it's from the first Rainbow album. That's a hard one to decipher, mm. the wasp. Because the fly, could be the fly on the wall. Mm. That's a thing you talk about sometimes. Yeah. Just observing. Maybe it's something like that. But you may be, maybe it was like a fly, but with a bit of a sting. A bit of a sting. Black Knight is a quite famous and well-known. Deep Purple tune. Yeah. Also, he's in a knight's costume. He's in a full-on yeah, on medieval the, armor in Peace of Mind. Peace of Mind. But I don't think he actually recorded Black Knight, did he? Probably not. Because that's an older song. This special topic, and it's a compulsory for Made in A to Z, and I tend to mention production every now and then too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely when we haven't been on an album for a while, or when we open an album, or when we did open albums back mm. in the day, I would tend to ask about the, uh, and try to make it non-technical, 
more so about the feeling and the vibe of the sound and invite everyone into a production discussion. Yeah, It's, it's less nerdy than the, uh, the other shit we do, to be honest. <laughs> it's less nerdy because you can talk a lot about this in, in very human language, like yeah. a landscape or is it cold, is it warm? And yeah. it's not factually ever checked. You cannot check that. If it sounds cold to you, it sounds cold to you, full stop. Mm-hmm. But it might and will probably sound cold to the the guy next year, mm-hmm. the girl next Warm year. Warm and cold isn't necessarily positive or negative either. No. You can always prefer one or the other, but you know, some recordings like Defense of the Faith is very, very cold. But I still really much enjoy that recording. Although I'm not a big fan of cold recordings, so to speak. And so, I mean, to, to talk in these kind of terms is always interesting and like you say someone who isn't into or understand production or sound engineering can sort of relate to it anyway and have an opinion and uh, perhaps even get a a deeper understanding of the pros and cons of doing this or doing that or choices you make as a producer and a recording very central in um in this, in rock music, it's very central. It's mm. often part of the review, for example. Mm. The mix, or maybe, if not so specific, at least the sound. or mm. the a lot, of, um, a lot of aesthetic choices. More so than just technological feats. A lot mm. of aesthetic choices. Mm. What's nice, what sounds nice, and what combines with this. The whole balance mm. thing. For me, quickly, like it was as central as guitar when I started out. Mm-hmm. And I was almost entirely, I think it was at least in the beginning for sure pre-YouTube. And even when I was up and running, there was no resources really on the tubes. So I had, you know, older musicians in Stockholm mm-hmm. that I went and I asked. And they would be super supportive of us kids starting like, yeah, you can get this. So I got like a mixing desk, uh, all analog. Mm-hmm. But then I had like direct outs from every track on it into mm-hmm. a digital yeah. But no interface then, just a PCI card. Mm. So just kind of a way to get the the desk in there. And I got to borrow nice mics and, you know, oh, you need this for the kick. And I was, it was complete learning by doing, as was the guitar. Mm-hmm. So for me, they're completely in parallel. And I don't know, uh, a year where I progressed a ton on guitar, but nothing in production and vice versa either. Mm. So it's like my tools to meddle with music is mm. this and that's why i'm also very interested in it and i remember being very interested in it before i knew anything mm-hmm. and what about you production yeah it's like uh, the maiden origin story but this is uh, your yeah. production origin story i knew we we're going to talk about this and i start to think about what are my actual recording and production experiences i have been recording myself since i bought a four track cassette machine in the early early 90s so that was still a bit after the bass guitar was bought, was I, it? I got my first acoustic guitar back in a Christmas 85 when I was 11. And uh, I grew up in a place where, I mean, of course there was some sort of studio somewhere in Hultsfred, where uh, it was close to where I grew up. And a world-famous name because of the festival. Yeah, exactly. A lot yeah. of people know the name solely because of that for sure yeah <laughs> not the furniture company tree company or whatever that no, was no. that was before your time even. H- they had a they, they built houses uh, when did they go complete bankruptcy uh the, the festival no the hultsred house uh that was uh early 90s somewhere so, it was yeah, okay, around the same yeah. time that i uh, you, you finished around? school were you around then in in Hultsred? yeah i was okay yeah. so maybe it was a big thing then 
Oh, well, talk of the town course. for sure. Yeah, it was. Because the festival was not that big yet. It was going big though. Yeah, but I mean, it's a small town and such a big event sure made an impact no matter what. Even when I went first time when I was 15, so early to be allowed to go, yeah. which was nice, was yeah. great. My friends had to bring their big sisters to be allowed to go, mm. who didn't look after us whatsoever. <laughs> Not for a second. Yeah. <laughs> they were busy with enjoying the festival. But anyway, I remember the whole town being so involved in it. Yeah. Everyone was involved in it and it seemed like a very nice communal thing at that time. And that yeah, was yeah, yeah. way into its more corporate years. O2 was, I think it was. It was all, all the time that uh, Rock Party, the Telda Festival, it was very communal. And in that town, did you discover recording music there? I had my four track uh, and I did some recordings on that. And I think I pretty much early on learned how to listen, listen to music. By hearing stuff that sounded like shit when yeah, you recorded exactly. them? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's the way. You, you, you plug in uh, and you just do like... Uh, straight in the bass and just according to the the portable and then you realize this sounds wrong there's something wrong here ah oh, you put a mic you funny part is now yeah. it's full circle now yeah. you're pretty much fine plugging the bass yeah, straight yeah, in yeah. like your friend john gaffney yeah. plays on my astro guard release yeah. he's plugging straight in yeah sounds great well of course i meddled with it a bit after Like your interest in production and your interest in composition, yeah. did you know which was which at at the beginning, and when did mm. they start to distinguish? That's a really good question, actually. Since I used my four track to record, I sort of got to know the difference. Did you have any tunes when you bought it? Like, did you have a couple yeah, of yeah, tunes yeah. in your? Yeah, head? you know, I was so crap playing the guitar, I couldn't really play other others' music, mm-hmm. so I had to make my own songs to have something to play. I mixed that up, but as soon as I got stuck in a song, a Metallica song, yeah. I figured this sounds not like the song, so I'll use this for my own. And I began <laughs> there. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I did. But I, I, I was way in on the idea of doing my own music. Yeah. It was super important. So I wasn't mindful of nailing other songs. I like it now, though. Yeah. But it, for me, yeah, they came hand in hand, and production was really something I had to do because of that. Yeah. And maybe for you, too, if you already had songs when you bought the uh, Porta Studio. Yeah. Obviously, you buy it for a reason. Like, yeah, 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 of course. This is what you're doing yeah, now. You're not yeah. just playing a, an instrument. No, no. At that point. I think it came down to basic necessity, even. That's what it was for me. Yeah. Because a guitar, you realize fairly quickly that maybe for heavy metal, this is not enough. My first heavy metal band, uh, uh, I ended up playing a lot of drums in that band. And when I say heavy metal, I mean... Hard rock. Hard rock, yeah, basically. And if you listen to my other podcasts, So Far, So Pod, So What, you can follow... <laughs> Like this process of me teaching Greg what the difference is between hard rock and hard rock. Yeah. Because it's a difference. It's a difference. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a very broad tag. Yeah. It fits a lot of metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about uh, Vatane or something more on the extreme side. Yeah. It yeah. would be very fine with hard rock. Yeah, yeah. Obituary is also hard rock. And, uh, and I mean, Heat is hard rock. Heat is hard rock yeah. as well. But they are also hard rock. When I started out playing the guitar, I wanted to play the drums. But I knew that. It's way too expensive. And very loud too. And very loud. So uh, I, I went for the guitar. But anyway, we started to play and I, and I sort of picked up the drums 
And uh, and then as I progressed and wrote more and more music, I recorded my drums and then I recorded the, the guitars and vocals. So and like you do today, when you sketch a song. Yeah, yeah. Very old school method. Listen, folks, there's no computer in the house. No. <laughs> it's insane, but I like it. Super old school. <laughs> You've basically been doing this since the turn of the 80s into 90s. <laughs> yes, since the early 90s, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah, I how like I work. It, I like it. I, like it. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I don't know, it works for me. Uh, <laughs> but you've been involved in, in the more fine-tuned productions as well, I'm sure. Hmm? Like when you actually mix a, uh, that Cosmode record. If I have a strength, the strength is that I have listened to a lot of music and I know what to listen for. If I want to flatter myself very much, maybe I think I have good taste. So, yeah, but taste is, is does, a tough one, though. Yeah, yeah. But does one. this work? Does it sound good? Do I like this sound? No, I don't. Do I like that sound? I know what I want to hear. Yeah, you've Let's listened to a lot way. of music and you've listened to it in depth. Yeah, absolutely. That's the biggest part for me too. It's the biggest part. The theory helps a bit too. Yeah, I get less of the roadblocks. Mm. And I'm sure as we get on to Martin Birch, I'm sure he solved quite a few roadblocks for for the band in the early days, mm -hmm. because as odd as the old Maiden stuff is. It usually has a nice, like, obstacle course quality to it. You have an athlete, he's running there, jumping the high one, crawling under the low one, mm -hmm. climbing the ropes, mm -hmm. but it's all within a nice flow. And I'm sure that uh, Birch helped out with a lot of that, more so than rewriting the songs. We'll get into his role, of course, in the band yeah. as we get into this Martin Birch summer special. We're pretty well prepared, I think. Listen to a lot of records. Yeah, I've listened to samples of these. You've listened to the entire records, right? Mm -hmm. First, I, I looked on Wikipedia. There was some sort of selected discography. And then I went on uh, All Music, I think the site was called. And there were more titles that wasn't on Wikipedia. And then I found on Discogs, most of the things I have heard. I've heard Deep Purple, Rainbow. I've heard Black Sabbath, Iron Maiden. But it was the rest of the stuff. So I've listened to almost 35 albums exclusively to do this series. And I've tried to do a bit of research, tried to find interviews, tried to find out what other people have to say about him. And unfortunately, there isn't like one proper big interview ever done with him. Not that I have found anyway. And uh, he, most of the stuff that you can find is Iron Maiden related. And since, well, we are going to talk about Iron Maiden too, of course, but uh, we sort of said that we would also concentrate on the not Maiden part of Martin Birch's work. In previous research, the biggest, definitely biggest resource is, uh, is um, the Purple Podcast, mm -hmm. because it's appeared so often. Mm -hmm. in that show, because mm -hmm. they do the offshoots, they do the Green Bullfrogs, mm -hmm. the uh, Sarabands, or, mm -hmm. uh, well, I was there talking about Iron Maiden, so mm -hmm. he was mentioned then, of course. Yeah. So they have a pretty good coverage, but they have forgotten half of it, and uh, uh, I will send the link for this episode for them to recall, because yeah. it's more than you would think. Yeah. That's what I figured when we went through this, that there's a lot here. A lot of yeah, stuff, yeah, and a lot yeah, of actually yeah. pretty good stuff too, so you're in for some treats, I would say. Yeah. So who were Martin Birch? That's the thing, and uh, as we've been looking into this, we've realized rather quickly, I think, that it's not going to be a lot about the person. No. It's going to be a lot about the producer, Martin yeah. Birch, and the uh, the wingman or the uh, 
guy in the wings or the guy yeah. waiting in the wings for the curtain to fall, all of that. But not much about the person, no. no. Uh, his family relations, we don't know. We know when he was born and where, I, right? This is, I, I can read out my research because yeah. it's not that much. Sure. <laughs> he was born in 48 and he died in, uh, in 20. So he was just 71 years old when he died. We don't know why. He had a wife named Vera and a daughter named Haley. And we also know that he retired famously in 1992 from uh, the recording industry. To play golf or something. Yeah. That's but, uh, Harry's version. Or, or be a... Uh, Harry's bitter version. <laughs> or, 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 something. or be uh, his farmer. Farmer, perhaps. So the guy was just 43 years old when he retired from yeah. music. Uh, he was born in 48, you said? Yeah. So a similar age to my dad. And that would have meant like my dad went into pension when I was like eight. Yeah. So it, very, it would have been very early because I recall a lot of him working since I was eight. <laughs> <laughs> Some heavy work there for him. But you don't get the pension at 42 if you work with national economy. No. That's not when it happens. It happens in 65. Yeah. But for Martin Birch, he just was done, I guess. Yeah, I think he was just finished. And do we know anything? Siblings, parents? No. No, no, no. Nothing of he, the he, sort. I know he didn't grow up in London. He he grew up somewhere else in the countryside. Okay, far uh, out. That's because uh, that's important. Uh, was he the farmer at birth? Maybe he was. Maybe it was a family farm. But at least I have found out that he played in a band named Mother's Ruin, and there is a Mother's Ruin who can be found on the internet, but apparently a very different. Mother's Ruin. So not even the same band. So, and he was a singer and guitar player. And uh, as we'll find out during this summer special, he has some guitar credits on a few recordings and doing backup mm. vocals. Especially on a few early years, right? Yeah, early years. Didn't happen in the 80s. No. Or did it? Uh, no. No. So you will get some confirmed Martin Birch performance, but in the 70s end of things. Absolutely. And he started to work as a house engineer in the famous uh, Delane Lear uh, studio. So this is when the Purple Podcast comes to mind. They mention it all the time as yeah. Delane Lay. So apparently you're about to school Nathan and, and John because they, are, they have been pronouncing it the wrong way all the time, which I guess they would be the first to admit. I asked my friend uh, Rob Grain, uh, uh, associate of Samson, Paul Samson. Okay, a credible source. A, a credible source. A source, European. And I asked him, how do you pronounce this? Because the... You spell it with Lia, with an A. Leah. But he says you say Der Lane Lee. Der, even, with an yeah. R sound. Der. Yeah. Der Lane Lee. That's how he, he wrote it out for me. Der Lane Lee. Der Lane Lee. Okay. Der Lane Lee Studios, very famous. And yeah. he, he came to work there in his teens already. Uh, Almost. 20? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe 19. Yeah. Possibly 19. So it's an early gig, that type of job where you kind of lie to get it. And it's quite uh, uh, also good to know that the studio then was uh, at 129 Kingsway in Ho Oban. 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 That'd be London, right? <laughs> yeah, that's London. Uh, and the studio moved to Wembley uh, uh -huh. in 71. But Ian Gillen bought the place uh, and uh, changed, uh, turned it into Kingsway Studio. And when did he buy it? 71. Okay, so Martin had been working there for a bit yeah. before that. And since he was by 71 an associate and working with Deep Purple, I guess he just helped Ian Gillen to, to turn the, 
And apparently they just moved out of the studio. Oh, leave maybe it, he told leave Jan Gillen, like, uh, this would be nice to own. Yeah. And I can't buy it. <laughs> you have the money. Yeah. Can you buy it? Yeah, because this, I mean, yeah. was this, but this was before Smoke on the Water. Yeah. Right. Uh, 71. <laughs> it's before. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because uh, In Rock is 70. Yeah. And there were album between albums album between one album between and fireball, fireball. Yeah. but of course they released albums very often then yeah uh, we're in a, in a basement location we don't have internet here <laughs> or do we maybe we do but it, it was around the time anyway yeah anyway close proximity to uh, going big apparently when the studio moved to uh, to wembley uh, they had new new gear set up in that studio leaving most of the gear and in, the name changed Kingsway. to Kingsway. It already had changed to Kingsway then. The name change happened before the move. Yeah, when when the studio Delaine Lee moved, they took the name with them to their new facilities in Wembley. So the new facilities had Delaine Lee as name. Yeah, it was the owner. And then used came Kingsway. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. Kingsway was the old studio. Ah, but they left. They yeah. left the studio. Yeah. Oh, now I'm with you. Yeah. And hopefully all <laughs> listeners too. <laughs> yeah. They left the studio, brought the name, but uh, the studio that they had left yeah. became Kingsway Studio. Yeah. And exactly. was owned by Engelan. Engelan. And probably worked a lot by Martin Birch. Yeah. He was working the knobs. He was working the knobs. <laughs> twiddling the knobs. Twiddling, twiddling. Yeah. Most of, of the recordings and artists we were we're going to talk about and listen to. Yep. Uh, were stuff he recorded in the studio. So he he and it's we have to point out that he wasn't the actual producer at this time. He was the the studio engineer. Yes, and he was basically credit, he just credited ha- as such on many yeah. early recordings. Right, yeah, of uh, we'll get to his first his very first production credit. Yeah, but he was often credited as engineer even on early Deep Purple stuff. Right, he wasn't uh, credited as producer on the Deep Purple stuff. Until very late in Stormbringer, career. perhaps. Yeah, I think something like that. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, usually he he worked with a producer in the studio, or the band produced themselves, and he was the engineer capturing the sounds of the band. That was his thing, pretty much, right? He's yeah. been famous for that, and you can tell, and you will be able to tell during this summer series. You will be able to tell that. Uh, uh, you will hear a lot of different sounds, basically. It will have sort of the Martin Birch quality stamp, I would say, throughout, yeah. with some few exceptions, but throughout pretty much. But it will, you will hear different sounds with different bands. So clearly Absolutely. he would be the guy to help the band. He was called The Mirror once, was he? Or is that uh, later? I think uh, that's going to come up later. I don't think The Mirror is. I saw something like that in your notes anyway. Yeah. The Mirror rather than the, you know... Just recreating. Uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, I think Bruce said something about that. His qualities as a, as a producer was he he was this mirror. Yeah, to, mirror to the band rather than the someone. loneliness of the long distance mirror. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> continue. And uh, I think he uh, uh, he wasn't the according to Bruce and Stephen most of the people who have said anything about Martin Birch says that he, he didn't really he didn't go in like a dictator saying uh, change this uh, rewrite the songs he just held up a mirror towards for the band and m- made them as truthfully portrayed sonically yeah. as possible that was his main thing so one of the first things 
that I have found in my research he recorded as an engineer was the first album, the debut album of Gordon Giltrap. And this was back in 1968. The thing is, I heard about Gordon Giltrap just the other day uh, with the Deep Purple podcast. They were doing one of our favorite albums, actually, that might be mentioned because, well, it might not because it's Roger Glover produced, but it's the first um, Michael Schenker group mm. when he's sitting in the chair. And I think Mo Foster, who plays bass on that record, mm-hmm. I think he was also a bass player for Gordon Giltrap. Okay, yeah. So there's another, yeah, you know, yeah. They, they all kind of intervene yeah. in the end. Mo and, Foster, great bass player. And great bass player. Superb. You know, as a kid, I was a huge uh, Michael Schenker fan, and uh, MSU was one of the... As an adult as well, we might add. As an adult. <laughs> still, <laughs> still. not faded. No, 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 no. And I, I remember very clearly listening to the first MSG album, I must have been like 11 or 12 by this time. When I was 31, I think. Got in a bit later. Yeah. And, anyway, continue. And I was intrigued by the bass sound on a track called Lost Horizons, uh-huh. where he plays the fretless. Ah, Produced by a bass player as well. Yeah. So Roger Glover production and Mo Foster on the bass is a cool setup. And Simon fucking Phillips on the bass. Simon fucking Phillips. Uh, yeah, it'll be a different MSG story once we get yeah. there in the yeah. 80s. Yeah. But of course, Martin was involved with that too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Gordon Giltrap apparently has been some kind of node or center for a lot of these English musicians. Because mm-hmm. Mo Foster was in there playing. Mm-hmm. Martin Birch was twiddling the knobs, tweaking the knobs. And for all you Maiden fans out there, I know you are listening. Yeah. We had our <laughs> we had our own Nico McBrain playing the drums on Gordon uh, Giltrap on Gordon Giltrap. So Mo Foster meets Nico McBrain. That kind of something you want to hear. Yeah. Has that happened though? They didn't at the same time, perhaps. No, there was, a, but on a later record, not uh, recorded or produced or anything by Martin Birch. So do we have some listening to attend now? Yeah, I think we are going to listen to just one song of the first Gordon Giltrap. Since it's what, as far as we know, the first recording he worked on. 1968. 68. Uh, not yet based by Mo Foster, I don't think. There's no, 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 no. bass going on here, right? It's just uh, uh, vocals and guitar. Um, uh, I'm picking, I will be doing this a lot because I'm not super familiar with, or even familiar with most of these records. I will be just picking the title that sounds the most appropriate for our show. Um, all right, Wilderness. I'm going to pick Wilderness. well-recorded acoustic. he knew what he was doing from the fucking get-go mm-hmm. <laughs> like what can you say there's, there's nothing I could like advise for him to do better here there are songs with the vocals on also maybe we should have a peek at that but this was a very nice one Wilderness I, I quite dig this I like this actually yeah Thank you. 
Too. It is definitely yeah. a bit flash. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we're just praising Michael Schenker or something. Uh, I'll try another one. I want to hear some singing recorded. Adolescent years. I never want to cry like this anymore. I've got to run and hide my face in some dark, secluded place. Like the inside of my grave As I'm captured in a tidal wave of tears Surprisingly dry for 68 yeah. They would normally have spaced out reverbs yeah. You know, those kind of echo chambers and whatnot yeah. It's pretty mild on that Well recorded, not that it's the hardest To record just an acoustic and a singer But maybe it's a very good place to begin To understand the fundamentals of, of audio yeah, without yeah. the mess of an yeah, entire so. band. He, he recorded another album a bit later in 71, an album called A Testament of Time, which is uh, more full on uh, rather than just vocals and, and guitar. And all my ladder school days filled with painting, Picasso and Da Vinci were for me. And for a time I thought I'd be an artist. Instead of working in a factory I'm sure you mentioned something about him thinking about the bass as an upright bass yeah. in general. Yeah. And this is, might be one of the first basses he ever recorded. Has yeah. a nice gut but This to is it, in 71, so... Okay, it's not maybe not one of the very first then, no, but I it's definitely think. upright. Definitely. It has a nice gut to it, you know. Hyatt. Hyatt, yeah. Oh, strings. Quite enjoyable, I would say. Very nice. The Beatles fan in me as well yeah. gets his fair share. And I must say that listening to, to loads of these albums recorded in the early 70s, where they surprisingly often have strings, they always sound so nice. So good. So, nice. so good. Well, there was no digital technology to, to fuck it up, basically. No. Another funny thing with... Oh, here the we go. Some more percussion. Yeah. Shaker or Tam tambourine? Tambourine. Tambourine, most likely. Is it congas or normal drums? Normal drums, I think. I think. This is pretty well done, you know. We got a nice wide picture. Not that this is the hardest type of music to record, but it's not easy to record it this well. Or what do you think? I mean, I think you have to record it well, and then it sort of mixes itself. Mixes itself. I think so too.
Gordon Giltrap, and he also recorded later on in the 70s an album called Fear of the Dark. All right, yeah. And uh, <laughs> Gordon Giltrap is such an important name. <laughs> and the logo, and the logo he used for Gordon Giltrap was the one that eventually turned into the Iron Maiden logo. So that's well. the David Bowie font. The yeah, film exactly. Did or yeah. something like that. The man who fell to earth. I think the story goes that it was a friend of Dennis Wilcox, who was a graphic designer, who sort of tweaked tweaked it into the Maiden font. Well, maybe he was part of the lawsuits, ending up with uh, <laughs> Dennis Wilcox counting, well, nothing. <laughs> I think we should say now uh, that uh, as we're going to listen to quite a lot of music, uh, there is, uh, we have a chronology going, but also since there are artists he worked with over and over again, as mm. he did all throughout his career, yeah. Basically, I guess he was just a nice guy and easy to work with. So people just the guy, the guy. So he people, was the guy. People just came back to him time after time uh, to to do stuff. And some have also like laid testimony as to why, right? Mm -hmm. At least one or two yeah. in your papers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I think Gordon Giltrap's later productions is very much easy listening. Sappy Yachtrock. Is it the Yachtrock? No, it's not rock at all. <laughs> but Yachtrock is not rock at all. <laughs> okay. Who is this Gordon Giltrap? Excuse me. I hear also Henrik's voice in my head <laughs> saying Gordon Giltrap every time. Because it's just something he would mention. And clearly, all of you listening, you must start mentioning Gordon Giltrap as well. If you want to be a real knower, the knower of the hower. <laughs> Gordon Giltrap is the origo of so many things, it seems. It seems. <laughs> Yeah, We have to point out that we won't talk that much about Deep Purple for this episode. So now we're just doing miscellaneous... Uh, Misc. Misc Lee recordings. In 69, he recorded uh, uh, Jeff Beck and uh, recorded his Beckola album as an engineer, which is pretty, pretty hard stuff. I mean, you can talk about... Black Sabbath being the first uh, sort of heavy metal or metal or hard rock or whatever tag you want to use. Uh, you can talk about uh, King Crimson, uh, 21st Century Skatoid Man being quite harsh. Quite harsh, quite early, yeah, 69. Yeah. And we have Helter Skelter, The Beatles, 68, yeah, right? Another name you get to hear is Spooky Tooth. They, they yeah. keep coming up. So if we go all the way back, we have, we have Iron Maiden, Judas Priest. Twin Guitar Attack, yeah? Yeah. And uh, who were they inspired by? Both Maiden and Judas uh, Priest mentioned Wishbone Ash. Wishbone Wish Ash, Thin Lizzy for sure. Yeah, but Wishbone Ash. And who were they inspired by? Yeah, they were inspired by Yardbirds, which featured both Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page. Yeah. Back in 66, 67 One super something. amazing guitarist and a lucky guy. In my opinion. <laughs> yeah. In my opinion. I don't know if you're a big fan of, of Page, but I, I think he's... Not as a guitar not player. The best, not, not the best. But uh, for sure he was at the, sloppy. at the right time doing the right things. And I can respect made that. And quite yeah. an impression. And I think he, as an engineer himself. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, he did a stu some studio work. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, let's listen to Beckola. Yeah. The opener seemed to state something about the production, I think, in general. All shook up, 1969, Beckola. Jeff Beck. A bit elf sounding, honky tonk. Much rawer than um, Giltrap. There are other songs that are very much more hard rock than this. 
I think this is pretty rock and roll. Yeah. Well, it's pretty raw. The, the, I mean, if you listen to the Guild Trap vocal, this one is way more limited to a um, mid-register. It's more distorted. This is pretty gnarly. I'm gonna go for the hangman's knee. Yeah. Because the secret of the hangman is smile on his lips. Oh, this is heavy. But it's still super bluesy. It's totally like my dad's music taste. Yeah. Super heavy, but clearly bluesy. Yeah. It's way dirtier than, uh, way way dirtier than Giltrap. Yeah, it's. And uh, I mean, in '69, I think Led Zeppelin had started out to play, which was also very sounding much better than that, though. Uh, I think sounding better than that. Yeah, I must admit. So, so a lot of this very early stuff he he did uh, in Durlane Lee was uh, pretty much. Heavy blues rock. Yeah, and this one I wouldn't have been that impressed with the production. I wouldn't say like it's only because you told me it's Birch that I even paid an extra ear to it mm. because it sounded so standard to me. Yeah. Now, but it is pretty heavy. It's yeah. well caught, mm. but it's not much above let, let's say a Will Malone level. <laughs> not not really. Oh. Just caught catching the band. Uh, so this wouldn't like ring out to me or stick out to me rather as a Martin Birch feature. What about what would you say? I agree. We had a peek into the early 70s of course with um, the latter guilt trap. But now we're in the late 60s again, so it's a very young birch. He's about 2021 here only. Yeah. Uh, is he only engineer or producer? No, is for the most of these records we're going to talk about uh, in this episode he's just the engineer. Yes, and, and yeah. I say just the engineer. Yeah, I mean it's probably the harder yeah. work. Uh, maybe. But now it's time to go into one of these names that is forever associated with Martin Birch. All right. Besides the Purple and Iron Maiden, of course, and that is Fleetwood Mac. Peter Green. Peter Green, Fleetwood Mac. He recorded in 69 also, uh, then Play On, an excellent album. I by recently mentioned my dear dad, mm-hmm. Mr. Ian Headline, and that's super much his taste too. Yeah. We listen to them play on quite a bit together. Yeah. And uh, of course, like. Um, that double parter song. Oh uh, well. Oh well. Mm. It's a favorite of ours. I think we should listen to that. Yeah. Part one has this kind of folkish intro. Yeah. And then it goes almost kind of haywire. It, it turns into a Sergio Leone uh, Western type of music. That's true. And that's something that appeals to me a lot. Yeah. It's very metal, actually, that whole thing. Even the kind of uh, Ennio Morricone stuff. Mm. You know, Metallica having that intro, Ecstasy of Gold, is no, nothing by by chance mm. it's not by slump because nope. it's quite a heroic metalish vibe in some of the stuff absolutely. the western stuff absolutely so oh well part one mm. we get some of the acoustics again different sounding than the last one yeah because here you can hear that there's a lot of space left for other stuff yeah like the shaker and an electric guitar as well dubbing it and then comes like a little 
bad. Yeah. And another electric. Slapback echo, yeah, super quick, and only one repeat. And it's Peter Green singing too. Yeah. Me too. That is great. What can you say? A lot of good memories for me too, this tune. So, should we get on to part two? Just to yeah, see how it yeah. changes? Yeah. Quite sweet, pretty deeply emotional as well. I would yeah. say compared to the rocking beginning, and very medieval. Yeah. First, first Rainbow album. Yeah. A little bit, right? Yeah. And it's been well documented and talked about throughout the years about Peter Green's and his mental health state. As this was his last album with Fleetwood Mac, uh, he left the band. Sid Barrett situation almost. Something like that, yeah. And he uh, uh, then recorded his first solo album uh, with Martin Birch, which was loads of jam sessions then edited together. It's it's one of the worst albums I've heard in my the, entire the life. The cover was slightly cool though, with some kind of Jaguar on it. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the sleeve of the yeah. You spoke about King Crimson before. We get a little bit of that vibe. When is this again? Sixty-nine. Yeah, that was an important year. Yeah. That was a heavy year yeah. for this kind of music. And uh, the last thing that this version of Fleetwood Mac did was to record a single, which was uh, The Green Man and Lishi, a song that I am totally in love with. Yeah, even uh, the priest version the is priest perfect version too. Is, yeah, They're absolutely. Both perfect. But uh, unfortunately, or yeah, but sadly, uh, Martin Birch didn't work on that particular session. Exclusive single too, yeah. on Spotify now. You have it on them playing on, on the yeah. 2013 remaster. Yeah. But it wasn't on the album. No, it wasn't. So I think it's interesting to to know that Martin Birch was there for the ride from the Brit Blues rock band and then going through the albums up till his last uh, with the band uh, called Mystery to Me, where he's actually the producer, engineer, and he also has a bit of a guitar. Uh, uh, credit playing on a song called Keep On Going. Keep On Going. But I mean, for those albums, uh, in 70, they, uh, he recorded Killing House. In 72, they did Bear Trees. 73, Penguin. And in 73, also Mystery To Me. All recorded, and uh, the last two are also produced by Martin Budge. And I, I think, I don't know this, but I just guessed that he was there and as he grew more and more confident in his role working with the band, he and just, the band grew more and more invitive. Yeah, most likely. So I guess they just 
he just started to give advice, like, do that again. I think we should use this guitar. I think you should do that. And at one point, at one blessed point, someone said, maybe you do it. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. It's most likely how it happened. I would say I, I also dig the cover art quite a bit for um, <laughs> uh, for this album, Mystery to Me. Yeah. It's a gorilla enjoying cake on a beach. Uh, I love the color choice. It's honestly something I would love to have on a t-shirt. Uh, it's really cool. <laughs> it's really cool. <laughs> and I think you're wearing a Mastodon shirt today. I think the Mastodon guys would love this cover. <laughs> I can just yeah, say. Possibly so. Yeah, I can just say somehow that they would love it because it has all of that. You know, it's, it's kind of powerful but also super goofy and also nicely designed it's a design smash hit like you said the other day about born again <laughs> so the guitar he plays keep on going Seventy-three, early disco. Then I think here he's gotten even better too. You can tell. Did he mix this? Yeah, go figure, it sounds fucking great. And this is also the last album before uh, the two Americans, uh, Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham, came yeah, into okay. the band of Fleetwood And then, then it was rumors yeah. instantly after this. I think so. I Maybe think or so. maximum one in between, I guess. Yeah. There, there are uh, Heroes Are Hard to Find, Fleetwood, an album just called Fleetwood Mac, and ah. then rumors in 77. Okay. But this is without Peter Green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of space in the in the recording, so you can hear everything. And apparently, Martin Birch playing the acoustic guitar. Congas, I think it's Congas. Yeah. Strings, of course, sounding lush as ever. Vocals, they are prominent, but they're not overly prominent. No, no.
nice. I'll fade out on that, and you tell us where we're going next. I must say, I, I'm not a huge fan of Fleetwood Mac. Uh, of course, their hits are good ones, but... Would it be the early or maybe the American version, yeah. rather? I mean, l later on when they were really, really big. Okay, uh, I'm not, not very familiar with so, that. So these albums were new to me going into doing the research and listening to all these albums. Uh, even even them play on? Uh, e that one I had heard before. Okay. Yeah. But Killing House, Bear Trees, Penguin, and Mystery to Me were, were all new to me. Uh, they were a mystery to you. Yeah, they were a mystery. And uh, so, <laughs> but it, you, you, can, you can also hear that uh, he was there for the ride from Brit Blues to the soft rock giants. I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan either, by the way, but I would say I'm a casual fan mm? okay. of the Peter Green era. And that's not because I've dissed the other era. It's just that I have been exposed to the Peter Green era only, really. Yeah. Like, except for that song we listen to now. That's pretty much, that's what I've been hearing. Mm. You know, that's what's been played to me. And of course, a bit of rumors, but that's almost too slick. It's like, I can appreciate this later, I think, but not today. Not today. That, that kind of slickness, you know. You know, I, I'm that old that I can actually sort of say, yeah, I do enjoy really slick music too. My measure for how I've been getting older is how much I enjoy a ballad. The older I get, I, I can enjoy it more and more. Mm. That's been my measure. Yeah, slick but it's music. Sort of I kind of always thing, liked right? slick stuff, though. Yeah. I kind of always liked it, but it had sometimes had to be instrumental. Yeah. If you added voice to something slick, I would get this. Sto my stomach yeah. would turn, but not so much anymore. It would be too smell it. What do you say? For, yeah, too cheesy, basically. Yeah, cheesy. Yeah. yeah. I will add too that the, I've listened so much to them play on. And it's only when you told me it was Birch, I knew that it was Birch. But also I like that because it's something like Birch was, he made me like it. I didn't even know he was involved. Because <laughs> yeah. I did yeah, tell my dad, good. like when we listened to this, I think only like two, three years ago in the countryside in the summer, I told him like, this is pretty metal. You know, this is metal. You, you like some metal too. It's not just me. Part two, yeah. when it floats out and all that. It's yeah. quite metal. Yeah, It's grand. Grandiose. Grand. Everything metal except distortion, really. Mm. I, another song that I really like and think we should listen to because of the production values is a song of the album before Mystery to Me called Penguin. And then there is a song called Night Watch. Nightcrawler. Night no, not crawler. No, that's, that's Watcher. That's a, what is it? Painkiller. Great tune. But Night Watch. Night Watch! <laughs> doesn't work as well. No, it doesn't. I can hear a bit of Old Maiden in this too, if you would distort it. Uh, recorded on the Rolling Stone mobile. Ah. We recorded quite a few of these albums with mobile. The live animal himself.
stand inside your magic shadow. Life is coming faster, and you're feeling all my chain. In the north, there is a jungle where rockets are aflame. And I hope that in the desert, there are ships and there is noise. And above the greatest city, there will shine a magic shadow and a voice. Well, the early blue eyes, the cult feeling here too. Leslie yeah. guitar. Nicely laid vocals. Uh, tabla. Yeah. A bending drum. Dreams. Very hard pan into the right. That tabla is cool. Uh, a grand piano. Nice. Pretty big. I really like that song. I think it's great. There was uh, another American in the band called Bob Welch who was in the band. Bob Welch. Bob Welch. Call me Bob. Exactly. And he played what? Uh, guitar. Guitar. Yeah. So are we uh, are we done with the Fleetwood chapter? Mm, I think we are. Cool. Would you like to add anything about Fleetwood Mac? I don't know. I, I, maybe I would like to subtract. Maybe I said too much. <laughs> Rather, I would like a toilet break, though. Hmm? Should we do um, a sign-off? Yeah. Should we do the normal one, or do we have a special Martin Birch uh, podcast? Martin Birch A to Z sign-off. So if you say, um, I will say up the birches, <laughs> and then you can just do the normal one. So uh, up the birches. As called from the north. Marvin, A to Z, in it.